Paris Perspective. Hello and welcome to this edition of Paris Perspective with me, David Coffey. Well, France's far-right leader Marine Le Pen has doubled down on backing closer ties between NATO and Russia. If she were to win the French presidency, Ms Le Pen says Paris would leave the integrated command of the US-led alliance. Once the war in Ukraine comes to an end, she says there should be a strategic rapprochement between NATO and Russia, essentially withdrawing the only EU nuclear power from the command structure of the military alliance of some 30 individual countries. Now, on Paris Perspective today, I'm joined by political analyst and active member of US Republicans in France, uh, Robert James Oliver. Great to have you on the program today. Great to see you, David. Thank you for the invitation. And we haven't seen each other since uh, pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. Great to see you. Great to see you healthy. And we're we're both doing well after it, indeed. Now, it has been quite a while since we last touched base. Um, Now, before we dive into the nitty-gritty of uh, our subject today. Um, let's have a quick look into how Washington, you know, we're, we're going to be looking into how Washington would react to such a move of France pulling out of NATO. But what exactly is the current status of the relationship between Paris and Washington? Now, this all comes eight months after the AUKUS submarine debacle. How are things going between Macron and Biden at the moment? Seems to be going pretty well. Um, by all, uh, by all, uh, by everyone's uh, opinion, uh, we just had uh, just a few months ago uh, the Vice President Kamala Harris visiting Paris. Uh, I unfortunately got stuck in that traffic. It was a, it was a nightmare, but um, I know she was here. I think there's it seems to be very good relationships, Is, and and the relationships aren't necessarily between the countries as much as they are the individuals running them and the personalities that are involved. So you had somebody like Biden who was uh, uh, not at all that offensive now in his advanced age, although he was kind of rebarbative when he was when he was younger and defending himself against uh, the plagiarism, uh, uh, you know, the plagiarism calls that they were giving him uh, when he was running. I think it was 1988. Mm. So he was a, a much a tougher, grittier fighter then, and he's kind of lost it now. And I, I think that's pretty much his age. But he seems to get along well with, along well with uh, Emmanuel Macron, and uh, and so does Kamala Harris. Um, you know, the, the personality of Donald Trump was a little bit different. Donald Trump got along with people who got along with him, and anybody else, it's get out of my way. Yeah. So it, it's different. It's indeed. Different. And, and Macron, he did try and wine and dine Donald Trump on yeah. the uh, Eiffel Tower and really yeah. show, him, uh, show him exactly what uh, some, a personality like Donald Trump uh, expected right. uh, when he was being welcomed here. But Speaking of uh, Trump himself, uh, many expected a massive reset in relations between, well, traditional European allies and the White House when Biden took over from Donald Trump uh, when he was re-elected, or when he was elected, should I say, back in November of 2020. But that didn't really happen, did it? So there really has been kind of a maintenance maintaining or maintaining of the status quo when it comes to foreign policy since uh, Biden took over. Am I right? I would I would agree with you on that. And I wouldn't say it's the exact status quo that happened before he was elected. I think the uh, I think the relationship is a bit warmer than it was. And I, I, I would I would I would say that that's because of the personalities that are involved. Um, the United States has uh, come out of a, uh, a long period of uh, apologizing to the rest of the world for everything that was 
imagined by the rest of the world, it was perceived by the rest of the world as to be something that the U.S. should have to apologize for. And indeed, politically in the United States, there are those who want the U.S. to apologize for so many things going back 100 years, 150 years to things like slavery and Mm. things of this nature when slavery, in fact, was also exacerbated by the slave traders here in Europe. If it wasn't for the slave traders in Europe, there would have been no uh, slavery in the United States. They didn't come over with boats and attack Africa. They came to England and Nantes in in France and uh, bought slaves that were taken from uh, colonies. So you have this, that's just a little side issue. So you have this, uh, going back to Obama, and even I would say Clinton, of this this apologetic nature, Mm. which for many years uh, was to the detriment of the actual, uh, uh, the average working class man, uh, the unionist uh, who has uh, lost his job to uh, Mexico or China, and especially losing jobs to Mexico as part of NAFTA, which Obama uh, promised to renegotiate on the campaign trail in three weeks after his swearing and said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, you have things like that, that people are now in the U.S., they, they want their jobs back. Many of them have gotten their jobs back. So they are still America first. There's still people that, yeah. are, that don't believe that they should have to give up everything for, for a, a foreign country. And we'll pick up um, on a few issues, indeed, of the, uh, from the Obama administration uh, a little later in our conversation. And that is indeed with uh, uh, the uh, current, um, well, I would just say flexing of military muscle by Russia uh, on the European Union. Uh, borders uh, and the conflict in Ukraine. But um, in the run-up to that conflict, uh, to the invasion of uh, Ukraine, um, there there was a massive amount of shuttle diplomacy that was happening uh, in the run-up to the invasion. The European Union, however, was quite unsettled by being sidelined by both Washington and Moscow uh, when it came to any negotiations over what to do with Ukraine. Now, when it comes to to your U.S. foreign policy. Um, could you clear it up? Was, it like that, was that a calculated snub by Washington against Brussels for we don't need you guys involved? Or is that just normal state of play when it comes to the United States, the United States when dealing directly with a foreign power or a foreign aggressor? I would say it's a little bit of of everything and then going on from there, then some more. Mm. You have the European Union, which is something about uh, 400 million people scattered through 30 states, 27 states, some sharing a currency, some not. Each state, each each country, a sovereign country, having its own uh, its own military force. NATO is uh, an amalgamation of them the similar way that they've, uh, that they've kept their own sovereignty, each nation, unlike the United States, which is individual states under one sovereign government, under one currency that's guaranteed by the federal government, going back to Alexander Hamilton. That's what he said, and that's the only reason really the United States ever existed was because of this. It's a little bit different. Who guarantees Who guarantees the EU? Where, what is it backed up by? Uh, so the same thing with NATO. What's, back, what's backing up NATO? So you have NATO is essentially 400 million people in Europe plus 350 million in the United States. The United States being a far stronger power uh, with uh, atomic weapons and everything else. But NATO going back to its roots back in the uh, late 1940s, post-World War II, to create a system essentially uh, created by the United States so that wars would be limited to Europe and they would be contained there. And they would be contained rather rapidly so that the U.S. would not have to get involved and lose another 100 million people or whatever the 
number and one. And with Marine Le Pen, as we said at the opening of our discussion today, doubling down, saying that, you know, NATO, NATO has really now been, been rejuvenated. I mean, only three years ago it was being called uh, brain dead. It's, it was having an existential crisis. Uh, 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 now Ukraine has just given it more meaning. But, I mean, what would, um, uh, if France were to pull out of NATO uh, and the, its military command, should I say, uh, like, I mean, how would that wash with Washington? Now, you were mentioning there about, you know, this, um, this luggage of guilt that has been dragged by uh, American administrations from, you could say, pre-Civil uh, War through the Jim Crow laws through to the Civil Rights Movement. But um, if France were to pull out, would that not reset the U.S. role as the world police? I mean, this is a role that America has been trying to shake off for years. Well, let's get back to one thing. If France were to pull out, you mean again? Is that what you mean, David? Since you mean again? Once, uh, De Gaulle, the Gaulle actually yes, the Gaulle decided to get back on board. So Sarkozy uh, brought the back, I believe it was Sarkozy. Hmm. And so France is back in NATO. Really? <laughs> Can we have our next discussion at the French NATO base here in uh, France? Can we have our discussion there? Uh, because I don't think we're going to find it. So, you know, we don't know what kind of a player France is in NATO. Uh, I know that they've been very supportive militarily in, in, in terms of integration. But uh, in actually stepping up to the plate, it's kind of questionable, I would say. It's really kind of questionable uh, for a number of those uh, reasons that I just stated, unlike the Norwegians, which are uh, very much into it and have been since the end of World War II. I was recently in Norway in, uh, in September of last year and was seeing where they, uh, where they uh, exercise and what they do, and they were showing me one of the fjords where they said they have uh, sonar place to specifically to uh, try to catch the Russians when yeah. they sneak in. So they're, very, they're a very, very strong ally, and the Norwegians all speak such great English because they go to England for NATO, um, NATO exercises. So you now, have this, uh, you now have a situation where Europe is, uh, is forced to defend Europe with the backing of NATO once again, and you're now, seeing, um, you're now seeing exactly what so many people have said from what I've read, read in the media, that the, this whole thing, is backfiring on Putin. Mm. Rather than weaken uh, Europe, he's actually strengthened it yeah. with NATO, with uh, countries that never before wanted to be in NATO, like Finland, actually speaking about it. Uh, and Sweden now, and Sweden. Re-looking, re yeah. And that uh, horrible word, which they used to use, the Finlandization of a country, meaning it's just, you know, like a stepchild to a, uh, to a greater power and, and taking its orders without being invaded. So you see that they have an 830 30-mile border with uh, Russia. So you see this as uh, something that uh, is, uh, it, it's, it's a step in the right direction if you want to see more European-led NATO. Yeah, um, and and the the Finns have got quite a uh, reputation behind them when it comes to confronting uh, the Russians yeah. uh, to their side. Uh, they've got some pretty uh, incredible and astute uh, commanders, and they know how to work their way in the snow. But uh, now, looking maybe just refocusing back um, away from NATO. Now, the, Marine Le Pen uh, is you know facing off uh, with um, uh, Emmanuel Macron this weekend. Uh, there there has been a, a slight media silence from the um, Le Pen side of things. She wants to get her ducks in a row before debates and things like that. But let's just look forward to the actual vote itself and next week when the um, result has been declared. If Le Pen unseats Macron, 
It's still very tight. Now, they say the gap is widening, but that could happen, you know, politics, short times, etc., etc. But if she unseats Macron in the second round of the presidential election on the 24th of April, how will her rise to power be greeted by the Biden administration who unseated, let's just say, a populist who had very similar traits to herself? Well, I don't know how many, uh, how similar uh, Trump and uh, and Le Pen are, to tell you the truth. I'm not sure she will unseat uh, Macron. But if she does, uh, you still have a you still have a Congress, you still have a Parliament here in in France, and you have a very strong uh, Parliament. So it's kind of doubtful she'll get everything she wishes for. But she will scare the daylights out of people for a while. She will very much scare the daylights out of people. What she can do uh, politically would remain to be seen. Her image is not a good one in uh, in the world, and uh, it's partially, uh, it, you know, her, her negative image is exacerbated by the media. The media is very much against her. And what was that quote we said? If the media doesn't like you, you must, must be doing Indeed, something. Indeed, it, like- it was from um, our, our colleagues uh, from RFI in French um, who uh, are down in Florida at the moment, which is obviously a big Trump stronghold. That's where Mar-a-Lago is. Um, and she was coming out, one of the few... Trump supporters who actually looks, I would say, outside of their own constituency, let alone their own country, who actually said, oh, well, with Le Pen, the quote is, if the media hates you, you're probably doing something right. So that's pretty much it. But I mean, would Le Pen being in the center of like the European, like this is like France is one of the founding members, central parts of the European Union. Does this have any impact on, let's just say, the Trumpist faction of the Republican Party in the running up to midterm elections that are slated for this November? Do people take foreign policy or who could be their ally um, outside of the U.S. as being something they can use as a political tool to gain to gain ground uh, on the ground on, in the United States? That's an excellent topic. So you have to create the divide between the politicians and the people running Washington and the average person, the average guy in the street. So when you start to talk about the average guy in the street, they don't know anything about French politics, basically. Mm. They know what they read in the newspapers. So they will read, um, if you ask them to read a newspaper and then, and then ask them a question like, who is the extreme right candidate in France? And they'll say Marine Le Pen. Mm. And then if you ask them, who is the extreme left candidate? If there were any, they would say, I don't know, because the media hasn't declared anybody to be extreme left. There's only the, according to the media, according to you guys, there's only the extreme right. There does not exist an extreme left. I don't know why. I guess that's people in the center. We we covered that. I guarantee you. uh, We we have the archives. At least we did. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll, I'll look that up back in 1933. But anyway, getting you there. But anyway, so the people, the average guy in the street understands France from a perspective when there's an issue, is France on our side or not on our side? Mm. And if you remember back in uh, when the U.S. was uh, going into Kuwait and uh, France was not supportive of it, um, there were people in the United States, this was back around 2000, I think, 2002. Into Iraq. Into Iraq, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. right. When second Iraq, Gulf War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the second Gulf War. I'm sorry. And uh, there were people that, uh, when France didn't uh, support the U.S. on that one, correct me, thank you for correcting me on that. There were people, I remember, in front of the French embassy on Fifth Avenue pouring bottles of French wine down the, down the well. drain. Yeah. And we were laughing because uh, I was at, uh, some of my friends, and we were all taking a French class then at Allianz France, and we walked past them on the way to Cliff. And we were laughing because we said, these people are so stupid, they already bought the wine. 
Why didn't they just drink it and not buy any more if that's the statement they're trying to make? But this is the average man in the street. So mm-hmm. their, their, their take on France is, is, is France with us when we have something to do or are they against us? Mm-hmm. And that's basically that. And then you have the elitists. And elitist meaning, I, I mean that in, in, in every positive sense. I, I remember back in 1970, uh, I think it was 74, Lionel Trilling was speaking at Columbia and he was giving a speech on elitism and how it's a good thing because it's, it, it, it fostered there's, you know, perfectionism and quality and things of this nature. So you have the elitists. Basically, I'm talking about people who are highly educated and people that I know. For example, like Nick Dungan, who's on the Atlantic Council and was the former head of the uh, of the uh, French American Foundation, and he knows very well about politics. He teaches now at Sciences Po, where he graduated, mm-hmm. so he can speak to these issues and understand them very succinctly and not looking at it from is France a friend of the United States. Or or not people also in the in the media like Florence Fabricant, who I know has the uh, Medal of Chevalier. Mm. Here, she's the former food critic of the New York Times. She might still be writing, and she knows France very well because she studied here, you know, and mm. writes about France completely in books and articles in the Times. These people understand the politics. They understand the transatlantic alliances. Uh, but these are the educated class the educated that you are talking cla- talking and they about. Pay attention to what's going so on. So indeed, now we're. I think who you're bringing up uh, and who you're talking about and who you're describing there are commentators. They're educated, be they liberal or conservative. Right. Um, but let's just say some of the liberal commentators now who have been coming out have been kind of um, looking at the statistics of Le Pen and how she's very much closed her gap between Macron, especially in comparison to 2017, uh, questioning the rise of her popularity and asking the question, did France not learn anything from the roughshod populism of the last four years of Donald Trump, and what would the reply to be to that? Well, you know, if you if, take that for what it's worth, and mm. then and then add to that people like Nigel Le, Nigel Le Farage. Mm. So I heard him speak last year in uh, in uh, April or May or March, I forget when it was, down in Florida. He was speaking at an event, and you look at uh, Nigel, who was all for the Brexit, sure. and I asked him a question. I said, "So if you're against these uh, these, uh, you know." Uh, amalgamations of states and countries, I said, are you all for uh, Scotland, Wales, and uh, Northern Ireland leaving uh, the United Kingdom? Go that separate way. And uh, he had to, of course, he didn't answer that question directly. He just said, Miss Salmon and uh, in, uh, Scotland will never do that. She talks and blah, 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 blah. But so you see this kind of, you see this kind of, uh, of, of similarity. Will, uh, will uh, Marine Le Pen actually pull uh, France out of uh, things? Her popularity, I, I spend a lot of time in the South, in Set, I spent a lot of time in that region every summer for three months. She's very popular in the South, more so. And that's, it's an immigration issue, the same thing as it was in Britain. For Brett, for coming up from Spain, I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's coming through Marseille, we, it's the migrants coming over the, over the mountains. I mean, yeah, I mean that's, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, xenophobia is everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in, the, uh, it's, in the, it's in the UK. I mean, that was really, from what everybody's told me, mm-hmm. the reason about Brexit was they just didn't want foreigners coming in from Europe. Uh, but England is a part of Europe, and we have it in the States. America is, uh, is, is, is America is Canada, and is North America is, is Mexico. Mm. And we don't have many Canadian uh, people coming across the border, but we certainly have quite a few coming from Mexico, and many of them aren't even Mexicans. Well, the, the Mexicans, one can say, are the backbone of the U.S. economy. I mean, we look at what happened in Britain, where there were no more drivers left to get the produce um, delivered on time. I mean, uh, let's just say, I think we could both agree that it was a very poorly or ill-conceived concept from the beginning. 
it didn't they didn't think it out and they didn't know what the repercussions would be for the deliveries for Northern Ireland yeah. the the famous Northern Ireland protocol and of course the effect that it has for like outlets of British outlets that are on the European continent such as Marks and Spencer I mean we've talked about this before but um, we, we'll, we'll move on a li- little from this uh, uh, we, we will talk about you know the, the election and all that but I want to get back to something um, when it comes to Russia and what we're living at the moment and now the kind of the one could say the revitalization of the importance of NATO but under the Obama administration one of the one of his contenders uh, for the election uh, one of his um, opponents was Mitt Romney yeah. the Utah senator Mitt Romney um, who himself is a, a practicing Mormon who is very much an old school straight down the line GOP died in the wool Republican with you know good family values etc he's not very far from, he'd be very far from the populist of uh, the last five years of um, that we saw with the rise of Donald Trump in 2016. But he was lampooned, Mitt Romney was lampooned by the Obama administration for his fixation on Russia as an adversary over the threat posed by China. And now we all know that the mantra that got Trump just to the top of the Republican Party, let alone the presidency, was three words, China, China, China. Now here we are in 2022, um, and it appears now that Mitt Romney has been vindicated. I mean, how has that been received in the United States? It's, it, it's mixed. Mitt Romney's personality wasn't uh, far from Nixon's. He was kind of a stiff. He was kind of a stiff, and he was not. He just didn't have the uh, warmth to really uh, warm people up. Nixon, mm-hmm. Nixon was was popular at the time because of the Vietnam War, and uh, and the economy. But you know, Mitt Romney was always uh, appeared to me and to so many people as just as stiff and out of touch with people. He just didn't seem to have the resonance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. And history can, I mean, history can vindicate people as to what they've said, plus or con, uh, plus or minus, and pro or con. And you, you see this in, in, in people like, like uh, uh, Winston Churchill, also going back to, you know, to pre-World War II. Um, it could have happened anywhere. I mean, the writing was on the wall with Russia for so many years from when they went into Georgia, and they didn't have to go into Belarus. They just really just uh, silently staged a coup there with, their, uh, with the population uh, and the politicians that mm-hmm. were there. And... Uh, uh, they were rather aggressive with the uh, with the Georgians, so you could have seen this coming. And then you had the annexation of uh, Crimea uh, during, I think, it was Obama's administration oh, in 2014. 2014, 2014 yeah, sure. was Obama. Mm-hmm. So you 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 see this you see this coming. Russia and China are both um, they're dictatorships now. So you have to. It's very interesting because Russia and China are both perceived now as to be um, not just usually when you have this, like we're talking about Marine Le Pen. So we're not talking about France. We're talking about Marine Le Pen. When we talk about Russia and China, we talk about Russia and China as being part of Putin and and Xi. Mm. And that's that is the problem is that you've got these uh, out of control dictators where whether it's the the repression, the Uyghurs in China or any of these other groups. But the people seem to be all for it. The people seem to be behind their leaders. And that's the scary part. Indeed, indeed it is. And now, just finally, speaking of leaders, um, we'll be brief here, we're running out of time. But no matter who wins uh, the French presidential election on the 24th of April, uh, how do you see Franco-American relations developing over the next five years? What are the most important things that are on the agenda, do you believe? 
The most important thing is, that for as I've said before, is that the Americans and the average man in the street, not the elitists, but the average man in the street wants to feel that France is a partner and a friend. So I think they would be, um, if France actually were to, not so much to leave the European Union, because that didn't have any effect on, the Brexit had no effect on Americans. If you're going to fly on a family vacation to London, you're still going to pay in pounds whether, whether or not England is part of the EU. It, it, so it, it didn't really make much of a matter to the Americans. But NATO would be something that um, that they would uh, pay a lot of attention to, as they did when de Gaulle t- took them out in, in the 60s. That would be a shock. Yeah. So it is making sure that France and Russia, or sorry, that France and the U.S. are still on the same page when it would come to uh, tackling Russia or any threat to NATO. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I grew up with that. I grew up with Americans saying, you know, France is not our friend anymore. And we liberated them. What's the matter with these people? Like they can't have their own, uh, they can't have their own mind and their own will. Well, and of course, De Gaulle was there saying, well, it's time for you guys to leave. You've been, <laughs> you've been, you've been lovely, I guess, for the time. Um, as always, um, Robert James Oliver, political analyst and active member of Republicans here in France. It was a pleasure to have you on the programme today. Pleasure to see you again. Pleasure to be here. Thank and you. thank you for listening and tuning in to this edition of Paris Perspective. And you will find all our previous editions of Paris Perspective on www.rfienglish.com forward slash podcasts and indeed wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you very soon.